morning, saints. Good morning. What a blessing and a joy it is to be with you all this morning. And what an opportunity it is to stand in place of our pastor Omar as he is traveling. So we don't count it. Uh, we don't take it for granted to preach the word of God. So we want to dig into it uh, this morning as we are looking in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. So if you are there, say amen. Amen. All right. Amen. <laughs> All right, amen. The word of God reads as such, verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Father, we simply ask that you would just open up our hearts and our minds to receive your word and planting, that we wouldn't just be merely hearers of your word, but doers of it. Amen. Uh, beloved, has there ever been a time in anyone's life when you were down and in need? You were discouraged, depressed. Uh, many, if not all of us, have experienced some sort of hardship, right? Whether it be a mental or emotional angst, physical ailment, financial woes. And if none of those categories fit you, well, there's one thing that we've all experienced, and that is a spiritual deprivation. Mm. A spiritual deprivation due to the weight of sin. However, no one in their right mind wants to stay in any of those circumstances, in those hardships. Mm. No one wants to deal with those issues 24, 7, 365 days a year, right? No. We want to get out. We desire relief. Now, the question is, in pursuit of that relief from that predicament, did you seek help? Did you seek counsel? Or did you attempt to resolve it yourself? I'm not talking about a situation when you had all the resources, when it was an easy fix. No, I'm talking about a, a, a time when you didn't have it. At time are if you don't have it now. See, that, that situation when you needed help, you could have asked, but you did not. Maybe you were too afraid. Maybe because you were unsure of how to go about asking. But ask yourself why you felt so apprehensive. Was it pride? Was it shame? Was it the fear of being rejected, being embarrassed? Or you didn't want to be seen as a beggar or a needy person? Maybe we uh, didn't want our flaws to be exposed due to the fear of people knowing that we don't actually have it all together. 
perhaps we thought that we couldn't be helped because our issues were far too great for anyone else to handle. Beloved, if, if not all of us, most of us in this room have been in those scenarios before. See, some of us may possibly even be there now, but we certainly will be in those scenarios in the future. See, this tension that humans feel when in need of help, it's not an inessential matter. It's not foreign to the common man. It's very natural. God has uniquely designed each and every one of us in such a way that we will always be in need. All right. More specifically and primarily, that we would forever be in need of him. Amen. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Pen David in Psalm 63. He's seeking. He was in a place of despair, but yet was calling out on the Lord and praising God in the midst of those circumstances. However, here lies the problem as it relates to being in need. We don't always seek. We don't always ask. And we don't always approach God. See, we get entangled in our pride as our brother Warner prayed. Pride or self-pity or self-condemnation, which results in taking our eyes off God, who is our glorious giver and sustainer of all that we stand in need of. But we do have to remember those things. We got to remember that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces and uh, of evil in heavenly places. Yeah. So when we think that it's us or them that's the problem and that it's us who can correct that problem. Well, it's actually Satan using us to get in our own way, luring us off that path of righteousness, hoping that we would remain in a state of self-centeredness and stagnant, never seeking the all-powerful and supreme Father who rules and reigns over every single part of our lives. He cares for us. He cares for his children. And he wants us to seek after him. Amen. So what's the remedy to bridging this man-made gap between the helpless and the helper? Jesus. That's the simple answer. Amen. Like Omar, if I were to give you the, 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 the main theme of the sermon, the main text, the main point, it would be Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the answer for all the help today. Amen. But yeah, the answer is Jesus. But I want to give you three main bullet points. I'm going to give you three main bullet points this morning. Under those three, there will be some sub points as well. First point is remember and believe. Remember and believe. Second, hold on tight. Hold on tight. And then thirdly, pursue confidently. Pursue confidently. Remember and believe, hold on tight, and pursue confidently. So remember and believe. Why is this the first point in this text? Well, I want to read for us in Hebrews, in chapter 4. If you look at the previous verses in two verses 2 and 3, it reads... For good news came to us just as to them. 
But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Verse 3, for we who have, who have believed enter the rest as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they should not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the word, the world. Now in verses 6 and 7, let's read. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then let's jump down to verse 11. He says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, we see that even though, that even though they heard and were reminded, they did not believe and therefore they did not enter that rest. His rest. See, this is describing a spiritual rest. No longer having to labor on your own to achieve a personal righteousness before God. Why? Because Christ has done that on our behalf. He did it and he has done it. Amen. John 3, 17 says, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then you go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered... Once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So by sacrificing himself on that cross, he took the punishment for all of our sins at once, which made him the ultimate sacrifice. Once and for all, satisfying the demands of God, justified they were. So this is why, hence the point, of needing to remember and believe because we need to remember that very truth. Amen. But what should we believe? Maybe the next question. Believe what? We need to believe that Jesus is the great high priest. Amen. That Jesus is the great high priest. We see it in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed. See, a, a, a high priest would mediate or intercede on behalf of the nation of Israel by offering sacrifices so that their sins might be forgiven. You'll see that in Leviticus 16 on the Day of Atonement, if you want to read it later. There were some Jews, however, who claimed that Christianity actually had no priesthood like that of Aaron. Aaron was the brother of Moses. Aaron was the first high priest of the people of Israel. But actually, Jesus was and Jesus is superior to the priesthood of Aaron. Amen. This is what this text is trying to tell us. See, but Jesus was not only just great in, 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 in name, but he was great both in character and in his work. Amen. And these are two important distinctives right here, because notice the adjective great. See, great exalts Jesus, Jesus' person. And it also, it exalts his office. 
See, great elevates Jesus Christ above all the Levitical high priests of the Jews, and it matches the fact that he has gone through the heavens in verse 14. All right. See, in his high priestly function, he enters into the holies of holies, into the very presence of God. See, just like the Jewish temple, excuse me, just like the Jewish tabernacle, how it was uh, uh, constructed, the high priest passed from the altar that was on the outer courts, and then he walks through the holy place, and then from the holy place, he now, he now enters on the other side of the veil into the holy of holies, into the very presence of God. That's the equivalent. So our great high priest in a far more exalted way, proceeded through what we call the created heavens into the very presence of God, Jesus Christ. And so what we see in the next verse, excuse me, the latter part of verse 14, is that Jesus is not only called the great high priest, okay, but he is also called the son of God. This statement identifies the historical Jesus as our high priest. It also presents Jesus as one who perfectly combined humanity and divinity in his ministry for all of us lost sinners. See, his human name was Jesus, but in reality, he was the son of God. See, the mentioning of his name, Jesus, calls to mind his incarnation, his life, his sufferings and death here on this earth. And then the son of God, that reference, it expresses his deity. So what the name of Jesus and the Son of God both tell us? It tells us that our great high priest is infinitely great in his person and in his office. Amen. Great in his person and his office. I think a good example of that we see in Philippians chapter 2 verse uh, 6 through 9. It says, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross. Excuse me, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Remember and believe that Jesus is our great high Amen. So that's the first point. Remember and believe. But the second point, hold on tight. We must hold on tight. Because Jesus is our great high priest, we can hold fast to the faith that we profess. It says, let us hold fast our confession in the latter portion of verse 14. We need to hold on fast, we need to hold on tight, we need to hold on firmly. Because we are up against so much in this world. But yet holding to the faith requires a little bit of determination in our part. Because we are in a culture today that everything goes. We're in a culture today that is counter to everything that Christians believe, everything that the Bible says. And then also on top of that, our jobs pull on us in various ways. Family issues, school will pull on us. People, all types of responsibilities. 
Everything in this world pulls us in various directions and it, 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 it distracts us from God himself. But in the midst of the pulling, in the midst of the tugging, in the midst of all the competing attention and all of that chaos that can pull us from God, we do need to determine ourselves to learn how to take the time out to bless the Lord. We got to learn how to take time out to thank him, to praise him. All right. The psalmist said it very clearly in Psalm 103. He says, bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. He says, who forgives all of our iniquity, who heals all of our diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We got to remember that. He forgives, he heals, he redeems, he gives steadfast love, unending love and mercy. He satisfies. Amen. We can't forget that. But it's very easy to do that. So when we're going through all types of circumstances, trials and tests, remember how good our God is. Remember how he has delivered us. Remember how he sustains us and how he continues to give us that love and that grace and that mercy in a time of need. Amen. And so as it relates to holding on tight, the greatness of Jesus as our high priest, this provides an incentive to make the commitment to draw near to him. Think about that. His greatness entices us to get close to him. Think about great people. Think about people who have achieved all types of great deeds throughout this world. Because aren't we naturally drawn to greatness? We want to be around celebrities of all types. Maybe some, maybe not all of them. <laughs> but think about the presidents, sports figures, music artists, celebrities of all sorts are just people who have major influence. We love to rub shoulders with folks. And it gives us this sense of euphoria, sense of excitement, almost like a high, right? But that high, when we come in, in, into relationship with these people, or meet some of these folks, it doesn't last very, it's temporary, right? It leaves, it's, it's, the impact is very short-lived. However, the greatness, the exaltation, the humanity, the deity, all these traits of Christ, they are everlasting. Amen. And that should encourage us to seek Jesus' help under any trial and any test. And so we need to hold fast to that very confession. But how do we hold fast? Verse 15. How can God even make holding fast possible? 15 gives us the answer. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect who has been tempted as we are yet without sin. The writer of Hebrews already declared the ability of Jesus to help the tempted. In chapter 2, verse 18 of Hebrews, it reads, for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. 
That's why we can call him the sympathetic high priest because he sympathizes with our weaknesses. He has been tempted yet without sin. So there's nothing that we've gone through thought that he hasn't experienced. Mm -hmm. As hard as that, that is to believe. And so the, the, the writer now here, he now states negatively what he had already stated positively. Why would he change from a positive statement to a negative statement? Maybe he tried to deal with some people who felt that Jesus was, was too distant from human need. Here he states three facts about, uh, uh, about Jesus, which would, I believe, help the readers know that Christ was no stranger in helping to struggling people, that he was no stranger with helping human beings. The first point he, 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 he talks about is Jesus is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's able to identify with our infirmities. Weaknesses is, a, is, is broad enough to include a, any form of human stumbling, bumbling, or failure. Christ uh, had sympathy for the needy. He has sympathy for the needy. Matthew tells us how Jesus, when he saw the crowds, had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then we see a, a widow about to bury her, her only son, seeing her pain. Jesus says uh, that it, the text tells us that Jesus' heart was overflowed with compassion. He approached the funeral procession and resurrected that young man in Luke chapter 7. And then secondly, it says that Christ has been tempted in every way, just as we are. This statement may mean that he faced the full range of temptation we face. It does not mean that he met each specific type of temptation which we face. But the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, every sin coming to man falls under those three categories. Amen. And the dose of those three in some form or fashion fell on Jesus. Because Jesus never yielded to sin, we know that he faced more intense temptation. Most of us say yes to sin. Before Satan has even thrown any of his weapons at us. We say, yeah, come on, dog. <laughs> Jesus said no. As Satan hurled every single arrow at him. He resisted until he broke the power of Satan. Hebrews chapter 2, 14. All right. And then thirdly, Christ was without sin. Jesus was completely a human being, according to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. For he became like his brothers in every way so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Wow. I think that's amazing. Must a person, here's the question, must a person experience sin in order to be human? Because oftentimes we can say, yeah, they do. You got to go through what I've gone through to give me any type of wise counsel. Mm, mm, mm. The answer is no. Amen. Jesus had no sin or deceit in his life. Mm. See, Jesus could have chosen to sin by giving into temptation from Satan through hunger, desire for acclaim, or lust for power. The fact that he chose not to do this shows that he lived out the condition of a sinless life. He battled constantly with Satan's temptations and claimed victory in the struggle with temptation. See, if Jesus had sinned by surrendering to temptation, 
he would have needed an atonement for himself. Amen. He would have been no better than the old high priest who had to offer sacrifice for their own sins. He would have lacked the qualifications to secure redemption for all of us. Amen. See, any sin in Jesus' life would have made his sacrifice unacceptable. Now, some of us need to wash our minds of the notion this is going back to uh, my, my most recent point. We've got to wash our minds that the only people that can relate to us and give us any type of suggestions, counsel, insight, are the ones who have gone through everything you have experienced. Mm -hmm. And I say that because that can be a bit arrogant on our behalf and a bit foolish. Amen. And then on the flip side of that, those of us who have been blessed not to go through life's blender shouldn't turn away from those who have because they have much to offer us as well. Amen. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all of us are equal at the foot of the cross of Christ. Amen. And so we're all capable of mutually encouraging each other, just not perfectly. All right. All except for one. All except for that one. That is our sinless Savior, Jesus, who provided for us a perfect redemption. See, his victorious experience with temptation provides sympathy. It provides encouragement and victory for us in our temptation. Our victories over temptation doesn't always make us more sympathetic toward one another. Nor does it always spur us to encourage each other because we are damaged goods. We are flawed. We are imperfect bodies waiting on a new body to soon come. All right. So, knowing that Christ has been tempted, mm -hmm. tried, and tested, as we all have, but yet without sin, allow that truth to comfort you. Allow that truth to soften our hearts toward God and to tighten our grasp mm -hmm. on that very confession of faith. Mm -hmm. And then third point whole point is to pursue confidently. Pursue confidently. Let us then, in verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Given the fact that we have a sinless Savior, what can we do? What should be our response? First, we must approach. We must approach. This word is used in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, in describing their movement into God's presence. We are to come to God with all the reverence and awe which his worship demands. Approach reverently. That's the first thing. Second thing is, we come to the throne of grace. You can approach things, but you got to approach the right thing. Approach right. the throne of grace. All right. This is a reverent reference to God's presence. It is the place where God gives out his free favor. The term describes an attitude more than a place. The seeking sinner will find this throne of grace. You can find it in Luke chapter 18. You see that? 
But the throne of grace is neither Christ, listen to this, is neither Christ nor the throne of Christ, but the throne of God. The expression, however, is not intended to suggest the throne which arose upon the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, but the throne of God in heaven. It's the throne of grace because from it there descends to us the grace which is shaped through Christ the Son enthroned in the right hand of God. Amen. Thirdly, we come with an attitude of confidence, boldness. Although we must approach God with reverence, we can also enter his presence with freedom and without fear. The term describes a boldness based on an awareness that God has all the grace we need. It is the attitude of a customer coming to a store, seeking an important item, which they know is abundantly stocked. They never have. Man, we go to stores all the time and come up missing on some items, don't we? And then we want to ask the person, when y'all going to get this back in stock? Well, not until next week. We don't have to deal with that with, with God. Right. Always in stock, overflowing, right? And then fourthly, <clears throat> we come for the purpose of obtaining mercy and grace. We come for the purpose of obtaining mercy and grace. See, God's mercy prescribes pardon for our many failures. God's grace provides strength for the demands of God's service. Let me read verse 16 and again. It provides strength for God's service that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It provides that for us. Why? Because the most important duty of the high priest of the Old Testament was to conduct the service on the Day of Atonement, the tenth day of the seventh month of every year. Only he was allowed to enter the most holy place and to go behind the veil to stand before God. Having made a sacrifice for himself and also for the people, he then brought the blood into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled it on the mercy seat, God's throne. The priest did this to make atonement for himself and for the people for all of their sins that they committed for that year. But that was only once a year. All right. And only a certain qualified person could atone for them. However, for us, we no longer have that restriction. We no longer have that boundary. Sacrifices are no longer needed. Justice has been satisfied. It's been paid. Because Jesus Christ became the ultimate sacrifice. His shed blood on the cross. He died and was buried in this uh, borrowed man's tomb. And on the third day, he got up from that grave, becoming the sufficient atonement for all sin. The veil that the high priest was behind, well, that was no longer needed because it was torn in two. Because there is no need for a high priest any longer. Christ is now our mediator. Mm -hmm. 
He is our sympathetic high priest. He cares for his, his, his brothers and his sisters. Amen. See, he is the only way to the Father. And if there was an a unbeliever, a non-Christian in here, I hope that you hear that clearly. That Christ is the way to the Father. There is no work that you need to do in and of yourself. Christ has already done it all if you just believe. And for the believer, I want us all to be encouraged by the reminding ourselves that he has done it. There's nothing else that we need to do except trust in him. Have faith in him. Continue to repent, confess, and trust and lean into him. And so because of that very truth, because of that very fact, we can go to him daily. We can go to him boldly, broken, blemished, and imperfect. Because he told us to. Why? So that he could give us mercy and grace in our time of need. And I leave you with this charge from 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. It says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that I also received, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Amen. Hold fast your confession and approach the throne of grace with the boldness that is only found in Christ. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. That's such a great reminder of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, how he has come and redeemed us God by his shed blood on the cross and yet he didn't stay there but he got up and yet ascended with the heavenly father and he mediates on our behalf God help us to trust that we can come to you through Christ God and that we don't have to wallow in our sinfulness that we don't have to remain stagnant God in any situation that we find ourselves in but we can come to you boldly and unashamed knowing God that you will, re that you will give us the grace and mercy that we stand in need of and we know that you never run out and you never run dry. Help us, God. Keep us. Sustain us. Encourage us this morning by your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.